This episode of El Politico is recorded on Thursday the 16th of March 2023 at 11.30am. Terms and conditions may have changed by the time you get to listen to it. Hello and you are very welcome to El Politico and uh, we're going to get straight into the show and start talking about the Oscars. Paul, tell us about your experience of the Oscars this week. What people um, often describe a theatre of politics as a big broad stage that you work on and then the kind of the smaller the stage, everything is politics ultimately, but the smaller the stage the more vicious the fight. So um, we had our Oscar ceremonies, um, was it last Monday night, Sunday night? Uh, Sunday night if you watched it live, uh, Monday night if you were watching it on RTE. Yeah, I suppose um, a little bit like the 2004 US presidential election and the 1992 UK election. Um, I didn't stay up. I went to bed on both those events, expecting a certain result when you get up the next morning. And then you're disappointed or kind of slightly um, put out by the result that actually happens. We didn't really perform at the Oscars this year in the the way we might have expected. This is Ireland. uh, As Ireland. Right. Okay. And we had our Minister for Culture over there in the week preceding hosting parties um, for the Irish industry in Los Angeles and the whole thing. So we had a lot of um, a lot of talking it up. Actually, the piece of music we just listened to was a piece that I've been or a band that I've been listening to for the last couple of months under the instruction or from the instruction of the director, Martin McDonough, who talked about the Philippines. Brothers, and that was a song of theirs, Frankie's Gone, um, a band that he enjoys listening to. I have to say, I enjoy listening to them now as well. Uh, Martin McDonough has to be very disappointed. What do you think, Luke, along with all the actors? Uh, I'll be honest with you, Paul. (laughs) I know very little about it. I haven't watched The Banshees, and uh, the bit I've seen of it is basically a bit of fake news where I've seen Gary Neville, Roy Keane (laughs) and um, Alex Ferguson Ferguson being superimposed onto characters and we might play a little bit of that. We'll see see how it goes. But uh, I suppose for a film that was uh, nominated for a lot of uh, Oscars, obviously Ireland as a country will be a little bit disappointed about it. I suppose Board Falsha or whatever they're called now will get a little bit of a a push off it anyway because people will want to go and see it but what I read a lot of um, debate and they were saying why did it get nominated in the first place you give your opinion on that yeah it's a good question actually because I'm in seeing it in the cinema last whatever it was October November um, it was definitely it was a great piece there's no doubt about that and the acting is exceptional in it uh, right through the two leads um, Kerry Condon, the lead female, and uh, Barry Keown, the supporting actor as well. The acting, the allegorical nature of it, um, it, was, it was a very good film. Um, but, but is it a play on screen? I think it possibly is, because I suppose if you look at his, the, the, there was, he has these trilogies, the Beauty Queen of Linan, the, um, the, or the Connemara trilogies and the Island trilogies, Beauty Queen, Lonesome West, and Skull and Connemara, along then with the 
the um, the island ones, what are the Cripple of Inish Man, the Lieutenant of Inish Moor, and this one then, the Banshees of Inish Eirin, which he wasn't able to, or he felt over his earlier career, he couldn't actually get it properly on paper as a stage um, version. So he eventually let it, let it lie, let it lie, let it lie, and eventually it came to him and he worked it as a film. Um, so it's part of that trilogy. So yeah, you could be right. Maybe it isn't actually... Um, directly a film rather coming from his kind of stagecraft but having said that then I, th- I thought it was a fabulous film but then looking at look everybody I think Steven Spielberg with The Fablemans was being tipped hugely there yeah. as well and he <laughs> he came away with um, the, the same the same, uh, the same amount I think okay, yeah, of, so, no, of yeah. nothingness so, like a, look, a, a remake of All Quiet on the Western Front I actually saw that. That is actually very, very good. That yeah. film. It's actually beat on Colleen Kuhn in yeah. the in, in, in the, 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 the interna- international, international language, yeah. um, which is a pretty prestigious Oscar. But in fairness, now Colleen Kuhn was going to really struggle to 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 beat All Quiet in the Western Front. It's excellent. Yeah. It really is excellent. Yeah. It won a couple of other Oscars. Yeah, as it well, did. Uh, and together, and for a film that really. It was out there and no one really saw any hype about it. I yeah, think. it's on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. If any, I presume it's still on Netflix. I saw it around Christmas time on Netflix. It would have been excellent now on the big screen. I would love yeah. to have seen it on the big screen. But even if it, it, it delivered really well on the your normal television. Yeah, and, 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 and good film, very good remake. And I, like the Banshees is on um, Disney, I think. Yeah. You know? it, and I suppose it, it's a way of, you know, maybe the, the era of the only things we're going to go to the cinema and watch are the big, big sort of blockbuster movies. You well, know, and a lot of the smaller ones now are, they might be there for a week or two, but they're going to the streaming. Yeah, definitely. And it's, the fact that you have those um, platforms like Netflix, you know, they, it's only a token gesture in the big screen and straight onto their platform then. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think that, you know, there might be a theory there as well, actually. I met a few people who watched Banshees of Inish Eirin on television, on Disney over Christmas, and they felt it was absolute rubbish. Um, it possibly is a big screen experience as well. You know, it probably yeah. needs the big screen to to, yeah. to, to, to to really get the most out of it. Get, grasp the countryside, maybe. Yeah, in the, the cinematography, yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 most definitely. It's a strange one. I don't know. Um, I remember at the time, yeah, excellent film, excellent film. Maybe we were being a bit hyped up about it as well, possibly. But still, even so, I still felt it was an excellent film. Um, yeah. But come away with nothing is a bit unusual. Okay, right. Well, sure. Anyway. Listen, uh, that's our Oscars debate over. We got I, the Phillies brothers out I, of it yeah, anyway. Exactly. Uh, not Maybe not much politics, but anyway. We, 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 everything we, is we, politics, Luke. <laughs> exactly, everything. Now, uh, yeah, I suppose you could say, are we bringing that back local? I don't know. There's probably a clear connection there somewhere along, along the lines. I suppose we, we, we could say, why are we talking about movies? Well, we're not talking about movies directly, but maybe talking about TV. And for anybody that's in around the Killaloo area, at the minute and I think it's coming over a little bit uh, further over this side of of the neck of the woods as well there is a new TV show uh, a series that has started shooting I think last Monday in Killaloo will be around for the next three months and all going well Uh, it will be the East Clare equivalent of Smother over the next few years okay, it's the same production company that uh, made Smother which sort of has given a lot of exposure to La Hinch and Hinch. West Clare That's so right. hopefully we'll see a bit more on uh, East Clare and I'm sure the lake is going to be involved in I it think, I wonder there's something very um, big vis-a-vis film going on in Wood Park in Mount Shannon for the last two days could be related could be related to that anyway okay. it is El Politico it is uh, 
the day before Paddy's Day we were recording and sure Lord knows what's going to happen uh, Cheltenham is still ongoing Paul <laughs> I said I'm, all I know is the horses run it but I don't know much more about it than that and maybe that's as well <laughs> for me um, but uh, I said all you know if there's any politicians left in the country they can sort of uh, give back the key because everybody else seems to be gone away um, we might talk a little bit ab- about that. You know, th- there's, I-, I think Eamon Ryan in particular sort of was getting a little bit of blowback for how far away he was going. The men mm. talking about global emissions and everything else like that. But um, uh, that's maybe a little bit too nitpicky. And we, we might talk about that la- 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 later on. But we'll, we're going to, um, I suppose, we'll address the elephant in the room first. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have our host. Uh, the sun decided to shine today and Thomas isn't yeah. available so building work going on so uh, Tom you are sadly missed and uh, hopefully we'll try and uh, keep the show on the road but you can listen to this one night uh, on your travels up or back to from the Hinch and sort of see how we got on and you can criticise us accordingly so we are joined uh, by Paul Bogler so Paul good day to you and uh, we are going to talk uh, and ramble a few bits along the way but we, we have a, a we're trying to develop a little bit of a theme, Paul. What, yeah. What's our theme for today? Yeah, we're, we're just in kind of preparing 10 minutes before we started recording. Which is um, which nine is, minutes before we normally do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, just going through, I suppose, our usual format is kind of domestic Ireland, UK and US. That's pretty much enough to be kind of putting your arms around. Um, there's a kind of a theme s- seeming to develop um, across the three um, theatres even this week. And that would be kind of election preparation there's no doubt about that I suppose in Ireland if you take it we have 2020 to 2025 so kind of February 2025 will be our general election in the UK it is to be in 2024 they had their general election in October 2019 so they have a five year term as well so it's the end of 2024 and in the US kind of the daddy of all elections we will have our um, US presidential we've just gone through our midterms we will have our US presidential and Congress elections in November of 2024 as well. So the, I, to and, a certain and, extent... And that being, that being the states, the race has to start 18 months early. Well, I think I think we're starting to see evidence of that now at this stage, at the risk possibly of kind of boring our listeners. But I think it is important to kind of acknowledge the race is beginning to start. If you take the states, you definitely see this... this um, well, you see Biden this week, even with his kind of commitment to, to visiting Ireland under uh, after the invitation of Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister... That's always an indicator, a kind of a starting gun, a starting pistol when it comes to US presidential elections. Or Historically, it always was in that the Irish vote was a significant and strong vote. Maybe not as much anymore, but you would kind of think that, yes, it's a kind of a starting pistol later this year, visit of the US president back to Ballina, back to his roots, the whole thing, that type of stuff. That would be. Um, and you also see now with the Republican Party in the US, you see this um, movement of potential candidates into those early um, areas like Iowa or like New Hampshire to start these kind of town hall meetings, to start these... um, um, Start the discussion. Start the discussion, exactly. Caucus in Iowa. Um, What's the other... What's the name for the other one in New Hampshire? Um, They're two different, slightly different um, processes to see who wins the state. So that's... You can see Ron DeSantis now, one of the potential Republicans, starting to make... Um, movement outside of his state in Florida and into places like Iowa and New Hampshire, those type of states. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we're definitely in the 
We're yeah. in the starting yeah, position. The, 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 the guns mightn't have been fired to start the race, uh, pardon the pun, but uh, certainly uh, I think minds are being sharpened. They're in a crouch position. Ex- ex- exactly, ex- exactly. And um, I suppose one thing, Paul, the UK scenario, I think we'd be fairly sure, as you can be sure, that that... Parliament will go relatively close to full term. Okay. The States, obviously, is a four-year term. It's defined. And we're going to talk a little bit later about here. Mm -hmm. Because, as you alluded to there, uh, February 2025 is when we have to go to the polls. In Ireland, of course, being Ireland, that doesn't mean that's necessarily when no. we will go to the polls. So we are now in March 2023. So you're you're 23 months out yeah. from when the latest date for an election to be called could be called. We're just going to tease that there for a minute and mm. we'll come back to it later on in the show. And because... I am wondering, and it's going to go a little bit into some of the debate we're going to have uh, about the discord or or the debate that's ongoing, we'll say, in the world in general and where things are being debated. And uh, it sort of seems that uh, a lot of it is still being debated on Twitter, despite Elon Musk's uh, best attempts to Mm. sort of make make a mess of it. And see, how is that adapting back into... um, sort of society norms in that is this what we're now getting used to and you know that oh I'm I'm very upset by what happened today we should have an election tomorrow mm. or I'm very upset by what happened last week and you know th- the norm is constantly being upset and reality is pivoting like if you look you look at the case of the Burks mm-hmm. right you look at uh, the ditch Mm-hmm. On the ditch, and we alluded to them particularly in the last episode. Mm. And and then there's a bit of, you sort of say, but you need to dig down a little bit deeper and sort of say, where are they coming from? What mm. elements are they coming from? And are they getting, have they the traction that their attention is, do they deserve the attention that the traction they've got? In that, you know, they have particular thoughts and they have particular ideologies but they're being amplified by certain amounts of the media and Mm. you say is that level of underlying support there for them or is it just a case of everybody's got so peed off with how things have been over the last few years that it's now just all uh, fake news, fake news, bad news, bad news and criticise mm. everything. But mm. that's a debate for maybe a little bit later on in the show. Would you have any thoughts in relation yeah, to that? I'll, um, in, in, in general terms, the way that, and we talk, keep it our theme, the way that elections, and elections are ultimately the arbiter of what it is we want. Yes. <laughs> as faulty as what it is they are, that's what they are. Well, it's democracy. But that's the democracy and how it works. But democracy is a fluid thing. It's a thing that's evolving all the time. And part of that evolution now is, as you rightly say there, the, the architecture and the tools that you use. And social media most definitely um, has probably leapfrogged traditional media 
in how it is that elections are going to be run in the future. And you can yeah. see this. There's evidence of this, we'll say, if you take in the Irish case, 2011, 2016, 2020. You can see the, the incremental change yes, in the influence we've, we've, that we've, social we've, media have. But now it's, start, now, it, now it's beginning to actually mushroom. And you can see a lot of things. You can see traditional media, even we'll be talking about this later on, how traditional media... Um, finds it extraordinarily difficult now if you take the BBC and the impartiality mm. issues of last week with Gary Lineker and the tweet and the, and the tweet as yeah. I say there so the influence and the significance of most especially possibly Twitter um, more so than any other um, yes, currently element currently exactly and this could change in a couple of years time yeah. it's, a, it's a huge factor it's a massive factor it's been a huge factor even if you take um politics and economics, even in the last week, if you take the impact that Twitter had with respect to the Silicon Valley Bank or with respect to then the contagion from that bank towards yeah. Credit Suisse, that all originated and began and started yeah. on a Twitter, yeah. you know, on this social media platform. Like, so like you say, things get amplified hugely yeah. on a social media platform. And, and it doesn't necessarily make them right, yeah, <laughs> but correct. they get uh, massively amplified. Yeah. And suddenly they get this almost snowball effect that nobody can do anything about it and it has to burn itself out. So maybe, yeah, you're, you're dead right on that. And maybe we can look to the future by having a look. We, we, we in this show can have a look to the future in how, how we anticipate or kind of maybe look at the elections coming up by looking at some of the events maybe over the last, especially... 10 days might help on that. Yeah, and I, I suppose, you know, as you said, our, our, our theme for today and how we're going to get through things, we say the structure is probably going to be a little bit different, we'll say, but I think we'll start um, across the pond, across the, the Irish Sea, mm-hmm. right? And there has been so much go- go- going on uh, in relation to all types of different things. And it can be very hard sometimes to weed out the reality from the chaff. And then you talk about politicians and you invariably wind up talking about the current scenario. But then we have to remember the ghosts of Christmas past. Mm. And we're just going to play a few clips from a few of the ghosts of uh, 2022 most recent <laughs> and a little bit like um, not quite back to the future but they came they saw they left and now they want to come back and one is a man that has been around for a good while and was trying to sort of uh, put his toes back into the political debate and especially in relation to uh, Brexit there we mention it but we're going to start with the lady that, in between episodes of El Politico, she was campaigning to be Prime Minister, and then by the time we had the next episode of it, she was no longer Prime Minister. Yeah, I think we never got a chance to actually deal <laughs> yeah, yeah. It all happened so quickly. Yeah. We never and, got a chance and, to deal and we, we, never, we never got a chance to have a, you know, that great in-joke about the lettuce, you know, would the lettuce yeah. outla- outlast Liz Truss. But anyway, Liz decided to make a bit of a comeback, uh, writing a big article in one of the papers, with Telegraph, Paul, I think you Sunday said? Sunday Telegraph, I think, about six weeks ago. Yeah, 4,000-word yeah, uh, article. And, and, and Sunday, trying yeah. to rewrite history, but all also, then she went out and made a few uh, appearances uh, at different uh, functions. So mm-hmm. we're just going to play a little bit of audio of that. So hold on for a second. I regret that we in the West weren't tougher earlier in response to aggressive and hostile actions from Moscow. So when it comes to China, a failure to act now 
could cost us dearly in the long run. Our governments must signal to the PRC that military aggression towards Taiwan would be a strategic mistake. The international community should agree a package of coordinated defence, economic and political measures to support Taiwan now. We need this first and foremost to protect the interests of the people of Taiwan. But it's also about protecting our interests, ensuring trade and free navigation can continue unimpeded. We need this now before it's too late. The G7 represents over 40% of global nominal GDP. And if we add our friends in the European Union, and I'm looking at you, Guy Verhofstadt, we can get to over half of the world's GDP. Now, that is a hugely powerful position to be in. And we need to use that economic power for the good of freedom and democracy. That economic weight means that we can influence other countries. It means that we can make decisions about how we trade, where we invest, and what technology we export. We need to use that leverage to ensure the G7 plus its allies act as an economic NATO. Paul, a little bit ironic there, Liz, talking about an economic NATO. Discuss. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there was a lot of kind of jaws dropped um, at that. You can, you, can, you can listen to the tone of her voice there. Um, so we're, we're trying to do her some justice from El Politico in that we didn't, as you say, get a chance to deal with her premiership and, and, and her, her audition for that premiership um, back in the final quarter, the third quarter of last year. Um, so now we'll try and give a little bit of time, I suppose, in the context of maybe how the the um the the stage is being set as we say for the future within the Conservative Party in the UK. But um yeah, I think a lot of jaws dropped when they listened to that speech at that time. And you can hear there's a very deliberate her tone and her and, and her demeanour in delivering that speech. Even the the language that she's using. And I say this to you, Giver Hofstadt. That's reminiscent of Margaret Thatcher. This yeah. is a man. You know, it's, she's trying to you and she people will remember during her campaign last summer. She dressed a lot like Margaret Thatcher. She's um, she's always trying to present this image of herself as um, as a person or as a politician of substance. Um, but I think events, dear boy, events have inf- unfolded, and we saw her calamitous. Um, Premiership. Premiership, um, along with her Chancellor of the Exchequer, Quasi Quarteng, when they had that disastrous, which basically closely or or, or went as close as possible to make no difference to actually wrecking the UK economy. Um, So she's really trying to come back out now and trying to kind of present herself. Interestingly, um, somebody said she has spent a lot of time in America over the last three or four months. And there's an interesting politician that she's apparently trying to model herself on, a politician from history. Um, it'll be the real Anorex now will remember this name or look at this name. It'll be Barry Goldwater. You, that doesn't do anything for you now, does it, Luke? Oh. He was a senator. He was an Arizonian yeah. senator who stood in the 1964 um, presidential election against Lyndon Johnson. He was, I suppose, the, the, the father of liber- libertarianism, if you want to call it that. Um, that would have been his political philosophy. An interesting character. <laughs> it was a pretty vicious, as any... F- political campaign with Lyndon B. Johnson was going to be pretty vicious. So if people want to go back and study that um, um, election, um, you certainly will get a, a, a taste for how, how it is um, a political fight can develop. Um, I think the point she's trying to kind of achieve there in relation to Barry Goldwater is that he would have been regarded as a total crank and a lunatic 
in the 60s, but as things evolved and developed and how it is that his career evolved and developed right up into the 80s and the late 80s when he, I think he was chairman of like a defence committee or foreign affairs committee in, in, yeah. in Congress, he became a real eminent grease, a kind of an old wise man. And some of the stuff that he had talked about in the 60s turned out to be, yeah, that was exactly how things should be by the time he came to the 80s. She is trying to model herself now apparently on this Barry Goldwater type politician. Um, that's just an aside. But, Look, she, but she's, she's trying to come back Three or four months after yes. she nearly wrecked the joint. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And and, and when you the, the, just the tone we talked about in that speech, but the actual content of the speech, like I say, jaw droppingly weird, talking about an economic NATO. Um, hello, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you chose to leave an economic NATO, which was the EU in 2016, and you were yeah. one of the. She, well, she initially was one of the remainers. She. Definitely had the 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 zealotry of the convert when it came to Absolutely. becoming a leaver, and yeah. especially then when she was putting her best foot forward to become leader of the Conservative Party. My God, there was nobody stronger as a leaver than what it is that she was. So, the, like you're right there. Look, there's no credibility in four months' time coming back. I look, I, I f- really can't believe she could ever. I think it was so absolutely rubbish. Her, her, her tenure, both as 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 a minister in Boris Johnson's government. Um, and as the leader of the UK Conservatives and as Prime Minister, um, very hard to find anything good, you know, that she would have achieved. Uh, if you, you know, she wrecked as much as she could in relation to Northern Ireland as Foreign Secretary, um, wasn't ever going to create any kind of a um, solution there to the protocol. Um, her initial cabinet position with Johnson as kind of... Um, Trade Secretary or Brexit, that type of thing. Some of the trade deals she negotiated with Australia and New Zealand basically sacrificed huge elements of her own domestic economy, most especially, or potentially will destroy her farming, her, farming or yeah. her, her agriculture. Basically, she just wanted a kind of a, a quick win. Um, look at this, we got, a, we, we got a deal with Australia and New Zealand, but they, 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 they handed over so much. Even the Australians, I think, kind of couldn't believe um, how yeah. good the terms of the deal were for those. So... Her ability to do politics, just she doesn't seem to have it, like, you know, but that's not going to stand in her way. You know? Yeah. But as a comeback, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I, I, it's very hard. to. The thing, the thing moves on and it's, it's moved on hugely even since she made that speech and she wrote that article. You know, she's again gone to the wings. There's nothing more about her at this stage, you know. Yeah. So it was an attempt, perhaps. But as you said there, I think trying to do that three months after wrecking the joint um, was just yeah. a little bit ridiculous. Like, I, I know, I know you, you know, the, the UK, they have protocol. <clears throat> and one of the things that struck me was when you have the lads commenting, um, and it was the time of the year, that when is the one time you will always see the remaining or the previous UK prime ministers in the one spot? Remembrance Day. Remembrance at the, Day. At the Cenotaph. That's right. That's and, they're sort, and they're there. And li- they're saying, Liz Truss is going to be at that event for as long as she lives. Mm-hmm. And you said she was, she was in charge of the UK for, you know, two, two three months. And they're, they're, they're going, oh, good God. If ever you want a reminder. And, now, and then they say, and look at the person uh, standing beside her, which is Boris. Boris Johnson. You know? We see, the interesting thing with these is, and we, it's, it's currently in the news as well with Johnson anyway, his resignation on, like they can't keep up with these, the resignation honours list. Every outgoing prime minister gets to write his list of people that he would like to appoint to the House of Lords or would like to convey the title of Sir um, or Lady yeah, or whatever. Uh, onto. So we're only just dealing with his. Johnson at the moment wants to um, put his father, put his father in, Stanley Johnson, yeah. the wife beater. He wants to put him um, 
into um, with a sword, not the House of Lords. His his brother is in the House of Lords. Yeah. Um, so we're just dealing with his. And will we have um, an honours list, a resignation honours list, a resignation in disgrace honours list from Liz Truss? Yeah, I this, presume this, she's entitled to. She probably is. I suppose you, you talk about you so talk it's a about daft protocols. System. Yeah, that is. I say well, on the word of protocol. I just want to. I'm going to play. I sort of going to go forward to come backwards. Yeah. Okay. We talk about protocols, and we sort of mentioned. Um, the great Boris there. So I suppose we haven't heard from him in ages. It must be four or five weeks at this stage. So if you stand mm. by for a second there now, I'm going to play a clip about him talking about a deal that he doesn't like, and then we'll come back and actually talk about what he's talking about. There was a reason, as I say, the public voted us an 80-seat majority in 2019. And that was because they instinctively knew that we had to fix this. And that's why we had the bill. And, look, um, get to the punchline. Uh, I'm going to find it very difficult to vote for something myself, because uh, something like this myself, because I believed that we should have done something different, uh, no matter how much plaster came off the ceiling in Brussels. And I hope that it will work. And I also hope that if it doesn't work, we will have the guts to deploy that bill again. Because I've no, no doubt at all that that was what brought the EU to, to negotiate, seriously. And in the meantime, I will continue to campaign for, for what I thought of and what I think of as Brexit and the logic of Brexit. Because this is nothing if it is not a Brexit government. And Brexit is nothing if we in this country don't do things differently. No, there was a reason, as I say, the public voted 20, us. We're about 20 minutes into the show. And mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're about 20 minutes into the show, and that's about the first minute of mention of Brexit. And yeah. I'm going to uh, play one other clip <clears throat> before we get into the discussion, okay? And uh, this is basically Rob Powell from Sky News describing the deal uh the protocol that was signed, sorry, not the protocol, is it a protocol or the Windsor... Windsor Agreement. The Windsor Agreement. The Windsor Agreement. Yeah, there's agreements and protocols that we sort mm. of need to get, get those right. So we'll, we'll just play this clip from Rob Powell, we'll say from Sky News, and say, what, what is the new deal? And then I, I, after that, I'll play 30 seconds of Rishi Sunak telling us about this great deal and the great new opportunities mm-hmm. it entails, mm-hmm. and then we'll maybe go back and talk about it all. So we'll play that now. It caused Northern Ireland's government to collapse and the EU to start legal proceedings against the UK. But we now have a new deal with Brussels, branded the Windsor Framework. Here's what you need to know on why we're talking about Brexit again. I believe the Windsor Framework marks a turning point for the people of Northern Ireland. So this is all about the part of the Brexit deal that relates to Northern Ireland. Basically, when Boris Johnson signed it just over two years ago, it left Northern Ireland with a lot closer ties to the European Union because it's the only part of the UK that has a land border with the EU. Both sides agreed there couldn't be any checks or buildings or border posts on the island of Ireland to prevent a return to the violence of the past. 
because the current deal, as it stands, basically moves the EU-UK border from Ireland and into the Irish Sea. And that means there has to be checks when goods come from Great Britain over to Northern Ireland. That causes a headache for businesses, uh, means a lot of paperwork and also has led to shortages in some shops. There's also concern among unionists. Those are the communities in Northern Ireland that are passionate about Northern Ireland's place in the United Kingdom. They think the deal means that Northern Ireland is being treated too differently to the rest of the UK because EU law still applies there and European courts still have a role too. There's a lot of detail that needs going through, but basically paperwork and checks will mainly be gotten rid of by a new high-tech system of red and green lanes that essentially uses data to figure out which goods are staying in Northern Ireland and don't need checks and which goods are going on to the European Union. There'll also be powers returned to here in Westminster uh, from Brussels over tax, over VAT and over some spending. And then on the issue of EU law, there'll be much more of a role for the devolved assembly in deciding what EU laws apply in Northern Ireland. And the Prime Minister says the UK government will even have a veto. The UK and the EU seem very pleased. Rishi Sunak said today this was about breaking down barriers uh, and was a new chapter in our relationship with the EU. Ursula von der Leyen as well uh, said that this delivers on commitments to Northern Ireland and praised a historic moment. But I think the DUP and unionist communities are likely to be more concerned because Northern Ireland will still be treated differently to the rest of the United Kingdom. And it's the DUP party in Belfast that Rishi Sunak really needs the support of. It is clear that significant progress has been secured across a number of areas, whilst also recognising that there remain key issues of concern. Conservative Brexiteers might also be more concerned because while Rishi Sunak has got more out of Brussels than his predecessors, there are still some hard to swallow compromises here. Rishi Sunak says MPs will get a vote on this, so if they object and vote it down, it may never get off the paper. I think a lot depends on what the DUP does. If they're happy, that will probably reassure quite a few Tories. If everyone approves of it, then it's a case of turning something that at the moment is a legal text, something on a piece of paper, into something that works in reality. That probably means changing laws, setting up new processes and putting in place new systems to handle the new regime for taking goods from Great Britain into Northern Ireland. Providing the deal isn't held up or torn apart by politics here, it should, when it's fully implemented, mean that shortages in Northern Ireland are reduced and it's a lot easier for businesses uh, dealing across the Irish Sea. As for the devolved assembly and government in Belfast, that hasn't sat for more than a year because the DUP are boycotting it in protest at the problems they have with the Brexit deal. If they're happy with this new arrangement and they decide to go back into power sharing, that will mean those vital democratic institutions get back up and running once again. Brexit's definitely more done than it ever has been, but this isn't the end. For a start, we don't know what the DUP or Tory MPs think, and then there's the question of implementing this all, which could throw up problems. And even if we get to the point where all of this is put into action, there could be spats further down the line when the UK or the Assembly in Belfast objects to new laws that the EU wants to implement on Northern Ireland. So this isn't the end, and these arguments aren't going anywhere soon. Rather ironic there. He says these arguments aren't going anywhere mm. soon, but we'll come back and discuss some of the bits in that, but Paul, mm. there's, one, there's one other bit that I want to play and we'll, we'll have the general discussion then. And this was uh, Rishi Sunak and the clip I have here is off ITV. It's the same clip that was played on a lot of uh, stations. You talk about the clip that you want or, yeah. you know, where is the highlight? This is the highlight of Rishi Sunak yeah. talking about the deal. The executive back up and running here. Northern Ireland 
is in the unbelievably special position, unique position in the entire world, European continent, in having privileged access, not just to the UK home market, which is enormous, fifth biggest in the world, but also the European Union single market. Nobody else has that. No one. Only you guys, only here. And that is the prize. I can tell you, when I go around the world and talk to businesses, they, that, you know, they know that. They're like, well, that's interesting. If you guys get this sorted, then we want to invest in Northern Ireland because nowhere else does that exist. That's like the world's most exciting economic zone. That's Rishi talking there. In fairness to him, he sounds eager. Mm. And his tone of language, you know, it's a little bit like he started telling you, lads, this sounds like it's too good to be true. You're getting all of this. And, Paul, the question I have to say to you is, they had all of this before they left. But the, 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 they had, exactly, that's, what, that's what the interpretation a lot of people made. on I, I, I had to smile listening to that, Luke, and listening to it again, I smile again. If people go back and they check El Politico from three years ago, this is a point that we were making with yeah. specific respect to Northern Ireland. Look, yeah, you can say you had all that for the EU, but as it, as it pertains now at the moment, with the UK gone from EU, but with Northern, uh, Northern Ireland in this extraordinarily special, he's dead right, with this, in this extraordinarily special position that they can access both the UK, which stands alone, and the EU, because it shares the land border with Ireland and it has the Good Friday Agreement um, sponsored by three governments. So it is, so Sunak... He's saying exactly what we were saying three years ago at this stage, which was actually, you know, it, it, it was quacking like a duck and walking like a duck and talking like a duck. It was a duck. It was always there. There is the one proviso in that, and it's the nature of the assembly and what it is the assembly will actually do. And um, it, that's and the key to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a very definite, it's the classic Northern Ireland politics. And forge. we've seen this over the years. Yeah. Um, well, we, we, we better way to call it is constructive ambiguity. Okay, that's the okay. nature of Northern Ireland. The, the new word for fudge. Th- that's what it is. But look, this is what we have had to do with this entity for a generation now at this stage. Yeah. You know, so and this is just a new thing. But again, no more so than every single time, it is up to the political system of Northern Ireland to take this opportunity. You know, yeah, we recognise the issue with the DUP or the TUV or the UUP and unionism. It's 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 their bedrock. It's 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 their it's their means. It's it's that's what it is. It's the union. So, but they are cutting off their nose to spite their face from a societal and from an economic point of view. If they choose not to, maybe they need to do it in an ambiguous way. But if they choose not to, or if they choose to try and stymie what it is the assembly can do, because yeah. International investment will look at Northern Ireland and say, yeah, it has got this particular set of circumstances that do make it attractive. But there's a whole lot of other things people look at as well. They look at the education system, they look at the political system, they look at the corruption of the of the of the, of the institutions in the area. They look at everything. They look at the whole package, and that's why, while they have all these advantages in Northern Ireland, potentially, if they haven't got the basics, if you haven't got a functioning assembly, they have the world record at the moment, I think, um, and they might break it again with this one. They went out before on the um, Irish language and something else there a couple of years ago. They were out for two years or something like that. Um, if they choose not to, well, they won't get the advantages. So, um, But is it not like the sting of a dying wasp, Paul, in that if you look at it from, and we're trying to be objective here, an awful lot of people would have the opinion that the main reason why the DUP don't want to go back in to Stormont is because basically Sinn Féin will be the main people there. Yeah. And that Brexit and all the rest of that, to a certain extent, is a sideshow for a game of politics that probably 
is stale and they are not seeing the reality of the situation. The form of politics that the unionists and would say the DUP, I suppose, being the majority and sort of Jeffrey, Jeffrey Donaldson, obviously, is the leader, now leader of the DUP, mm. previously UUP. You yeah. know, it's a bit like uh, they sort of cha- change their spots, we'll say, depending on the party or the times mm. that, that, that they're in. But you'd say a lot of Northern Ireland, I think, has moved on mm. from their opinions. And I would say that there's a certain amount of the Protestant population don't agree with what they're doing. Yeah. And the inverse of that is on the Catholic side and what you would call, if you said Sinn Féin, SDLP, the nationalist side of things are sort of there going, it doesn't matter what happens, they still won't agree or accept it. Whereas we had to put up with this mm. being oppressed for years. And it's not, a, it's not as if Sinn Féin being power is going to oppress the DUP. They won't agree with a lot of what mm. they want. Well, that's the nature. That's yeah, the nature that's of, their, politics. of, of it, their governmental system, yeah. what they have there at the moment. Yeah. You know, this but, deputy minister, first minister, you know, yeah. nomenclature is important apparently now, but you're right there. The, the nationalist and demographics would indicate this anyway, that the that the, 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 pop- the, 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 nationalist, the nationalist population vote is, is, is and vote is increasing. Yeah. We've spoken about that for years. And Incrementally. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's more, you, if you look at Sinn Féin in the last Assembly elections, like, it's not that they increased. The, the big story wasn't that Sinn Féin became the biggest party because yeah. they pretty they, much they stayed. stayed still. Yeah. The, the big story is, is that the unionist vote is fragmenting a little bit in that you've got this really traditional unionist voice which is putting serious pressure now on the de- democratic unionist party. Um, you, you mentioned Geoffrey Donaldson there as being a UUP originally and then going to the DUP. It's the same thing that he did to David Trimble yeah. in the late 1990s. You know, you've got this, 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 this more conservative unionism this traditional unionism that starts biting at the heels of the unionism that's trying to be practical, if you want to call it that, in yeah. relation to how it is they govern. And that seems to be always, and that will iterate itself right down um, through the parties for another couple of generations of politicians. You know, the TUV, look, look, it doesn't look like the TUV are going to win a huge amount of seats, but they're definitely going to stymie and kind of pull back the DUP. And in yeah. the sense then that the DUP just seem to be having a lot of difficulty in accepting this um, um, fact that they might become the second largest party um, in Northern Ireland and not the largest party. But yeah. the other dynamic, the interesting dynamic and the most fascinating dynamic, and it'll be interesting to see does it have legs ultimately or for a long-term process, is the, the um, explosion in support for the Alliance Party. Um, and there's your middle ground where most politics tends to get worked out yeah. from. And, so and this will is that maintain and sustain <coughs> and continue? Yeah, in and, and, and I think, Paul, that's probably, you, you know, you talk about the great divide that has existed in Northern Ireland from nationalists to unionists over the years. And a little bit like you go back 25 years ago and we'll be talking a little bit about it um, in, in a few minutes. The 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement is upcoming. Mm. The two main parties in power at the time, the SDLP and Ulster Unions, both of which are very much politically in the doldrums at the minute. Uh, Yes. And you look at the parties that were sort of... uh, DUP on, voted on, against on the, the Good Friday on, yeah, Agreement. That were on the extremes at yeah. the time. You had Sinn Féin and the DUP, yeah. now the two majority parties. Yeah. And then 
you know, as you said, over a course of 25 years of where we've mainly had peace and I'd like to think a certain amount of common sense, maybe not enough, enough of it there to get things through. But if they want to be able to be the masters of their own destiny, they need to get their political act in order. And the Alliance Party has the potential to grab from both sides and maybe become uh, a combination of both. Hmm. Discuss. Well, that, that'd be your, that, that, that is how you would like the things would naturally evolve. And it looks like you're, you're, you're in the, 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 the very early stages, potentially, of something like that. But, like, you know, um, people might have felt the civil rights movement in the 60s was the air. This is why it's Northern Ireland. It is still a tinderbox. You know, people might have thought the civil rights movement in the 1960s was, was a step in that type of direction. And we saw what ultimately happened then out of that as well. You know, make no mistake, politics and democratic politics in Northern Ireland is very fragile. It's always fragile. And it always needs, unfortunately, it always needs support from both London and Dublin and indeed, often, Washington as well. It needs that support. You wouldn't discount something like that potentially, ultimately happening. But the thing is so tribally entrenched that it's, it, to be honest, Luke, I feel it's, it's almost like a long shot. You would love to see that happening. You would love to see that happening. But I mean, it, 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 it's, 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 I do think it's a long shot. I think there's a long way to play out yet with Sinn Féin, DUP, um, before we ever get to that scenario. Now, there is, but is, is that it, politically, Paul? B- because you, you can argue that you're now in a stalemate where they've had no yeah. uh, government for a number of years. A, a year, over, a, just yeah, over a year yeah. now, and they had it for two years. For two years prior to before that. that. Right? Yeah. And you said they're heading for another dose of elections. Yeah. And it's a bit like, you know, they need to get the political act together and somebody needs to grow a pair of cojones yeah. and start to say, right, we'll go in and start to do this. Because Rishi was there talking about, no, lads, look at this great opportunity mm. that's sort of here. And he's right. Yeah. But, but it, the opportunity isn't there unless the politics are... Correct. Good. There's one little thing that perhaps, <laughs> this could be totally fanciful, totally ridiculous. And it's, the architecture is created to, for the political environment, the administrative environment in Northern Ireland by the... Andrew's agreement. And there you had to declare as unionist, nationalist or other. And this yeah. is how you determine the minister and the deputy, sorry, the first minister and the deputy first yes. minister. Unionist, nationalist, other. <laughs> At the moment, um, it's unionist and nationalist. And that's how the um, thing is divvied up, basically. And then you, uh, you, you allocate your, your um, government portfolios, Minister for Agriculture, Minister for Education, on this DeHaunt system. So yeah. it, it, if you get a seat at Cabinet, it reflects the number of votes you've actually got in the Assembly elections. But supposing SDLP, Alliance, whatever other parties are there, Greens in Northern Ireland, all declared as other. And supposing they then leapfrogged Unionist or Nationalist. In numbers. In numbers. Yeah. So they become... The first minister. No, that's an absolutely revolutionary. Like the architecture is there for that to potentially. Like again, no more so than no more so than, than 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 the demographics of voting. It's a long shot, but there is an architecture there. But maybe now is the time on the on the on the on the anniversary of the Good Friday to have a look at the architecture, because in fairness, and this maybe just reflects the nature of the the the, the area, the architecture was definitely in the Andrews Agreement. It was definitely. And the St. Andrew's Agreement, it was definitely um, biased hugely 
towards the DUP and to Sinn Féin, you know, because they were probably shouting the loudest at the time. And, and, and to and, try and get and them e- to agree. E- everybody could see that they were going to be the, the coming people. I think John Hume and Seamus Mallon and the SDLP knew straight away in 1998, 1999, that they had basically signed, you know, they'd signed away the SDLP having yeah. done all the work it is that they have done for 30 years for a generation as well and in fairness Malin famously described the Good Friday Agreement as Sunningdale for slow learners and yes, 3,000 yes. 3, people dead yeah. um, a, a titan of a politician both himself and Hume so I do think in celebrating the 25 years I think we have to go back to the table to create political architecture now in Northern Ireland recreate political architecture to deal with what Sunak is saying there about the possibility of this um, turbocharged economy, you know, well, it has huge opportunities, yeah. but only if the political structure correct. is correct. Correct, and like the, the the whole thing with the North, and I, I think a lot of us down here still find it hard to understand how such small things can become such, uh, you know, tinderbox moments and how something small can turn into a huge event. Like, if you said... Uh, the effect that flags and parades and jerseys, right? And just going to you, you can talk about flags mm, being, yeah. you know, uh, the, the you know the tricolour being flown yeah. in Belfast. Uh, parades, obviously, of course, is generally in around the events of the twelfth. Twelfth, yeah. And jerseys, and jerseys is something I experienced myself, and I didn't fully realise it until I was up uh, in Belfast last year. I was at a concert. Uh, Paul, and we might take a, a musical interlude, yes. maybe, maybe uh, just for a few minutes. We'll draw, draw our breath. And uh, appropriately, the band that I was at up in Belfast in, Mar- in the centre of town was Madness. Oh, yeah, very right? good. And one of the big things on the ticket, uh, and it's all digital stuff now, but a, a little bit like was like, lads, do not wear any sporting jersey of any type. Mm. They're banned. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of there thinking, if that was the equivalent of down here and you'd be talking about lads that would go, sort of back in the day go to a disco after a Clare match or something yeah. like that and half the half the crowd would turn up in a Clare jersey. And it'd be a bit like, lads, sorry, you can't come in here. You might offend someone with that jersey. Mm. And I was there going, things have moved on an awful long way. But when banning jerseys to an event which is a, a musical concert that the jersey that a person wears and a lot of it probably would come down to whether you're wearing a Rangers jersey, mm. whether you're wearing a Celtics, uh, sorry, a Celtic jersey or mm. whether you're wearing a Gaia Gen- jersey. Jim Torden, Linfield. Whatever, yeah, you know, you know yeah. soccer jersey, mm. any, anything like that. And you're there going, it's still the small things that oh, make yeah. such a big difference. Absolutely. It, 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 it's, it's imagery. Um, make no mistake, you, you go back to the mid-90s, you talked about the marching there. You know, David Trimble, um, who just died last year, Lord Trimble at, the, at this point, he, he became leader of the Unionist Party after Jim Molyneux on the basis of his hardline stance when it came to marching. Do you remember the Garibati yes. Road? Oh, yeah. And he wasn't, that wasn't his natural instinct, mm. I think, as a, as a law lecturer in Queen's University or as, as a politician to be marching down the Garibati Road with his black umbrella and yeah. his sash. You know, but again, he had to show his Unionist credentials at that time in that context, you know, Billy Wright, he was marching with these kinds of people. You know, remember those those those, those um, 
LVF people, that type of thing, you know. So this is what you have to do, unfortunately, in that cauldron of Northern Irish politics. It always makes it, it just makes for a, it makes for a tinderbox of, 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 of politics. There's no doubt about it. And the compromises, perhaps then, that you have to engage in um, to develop your political career are perhaps kind of... Um, things that may come back to kind of bite and haunt you and make it very difficult for the whole process to move on, ultimately. Yeah, and I think if you look at it politically, um, to get the level of agreement that was reached, and the DUP had the seven points or thresholds that needed to be meted to see could they sort of agree to this deal, which haven't fully been... Yes. You know, uh, they might meet five, right. but the other two were still having to think about it, see what we, we decide to vote on it. But for Sunak... It was seen as good news. Mm. He got something done. He basically torpedoed Boris out of the water yeah. with, with that little bit that we played. It was basically Boris didn't agree with it. As, and you talk about comebacks. Mm. Boris was sort of sniffing in the background there looking oh, yeah. to make a bit of a comeback. And still I think is. that I, he still is. Absolutely. But I think Sunak, uh, by getting what he got, and uh, I think even the managing of it, you know, uh, mm. and, uh, you know, we... we, we give credit to some uh, other big podcasts out there along along the way mm. as well and Alistair Campbell's one and we'll be talking about him in a minute the rest is politics and the news agents they both alluded to the fact and of course uh, Campbell being the ultimate spin, spin master mm. that the events were done very well there were no leaks beforehand yeah. it was sort of boom 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 and the message is short the message is concise but the message is constant and we're yeah. not changing our minds and this is what we have yeah. done like you could even allude to paul what do they call it the windsor windsor, windsor agreement the, the you know the, uh, why was it called windsor that's probably to keep the dup on board but for some peculiar reason and i don't know why it is but we might find out in as as they present the history of this whole thing um, part of the kind of conclusion of the deal was having tea with King Charles for Ursula, Ursula van der Leyen That's the, and then so that was signed in Windsor his, yes. one of his castles or whatever it is yeah. so for whatever reason or whatever maybe that was deliberately delivering a kind of a subliminal message um, through the king to the unionist kind of was your, 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 I'm still your, with you boys yeah something yeah. like that possibly make no doubt about it choreography is really important you're yeah, interestingly there when you, you go back to the clip that you did play and Boris Johnson talks about the 2019 general election and the election and you know, winning it on the basis of get Brexit done and he talked about the people of the UK instinctively knew we had to fix this no it was never going to be fixed it just wasn't. Now, he's trying to rewrite history by saying that this is what my, my my Brexit bill, if you call it that, the one where we were kind of breaking international law in a, what was the quote, Brandon Lewis, his Brexit secretary, um, we were breaking law, we were breaking international law, but only in a very um, targeted and targeted focused way. way. Yes, it's yes. ridiculous stuff. So this is the, you know, this is not how to kind of create statecraft you know statecraft as you rightly say there and this is the same with the Good Friday Agreement it's done quietly it's done in kind of late hours at night um, it's not done with kind of megaphone diplomacy and kind of as he says there knocking the plaster off the ceiling in Brussels it just doesn't work. you, you yeah. might like to think you might play to your audience it might sound great might make you feel comfortable but it doesn't work it just doesn't work statecraft works quietly and without any fuss and creating relationships and building trust between the two parties. Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson's government never did that and deliberately went out of their way not to do that. So for him to claim any kind of credit for this agreement 
it's just um, patently ridiculous, yeah, really. Absolutely. Right. Listen, we're probably near the end of part one of what we're going to talk about. And uh, we haven't really discussed the, the big news on Twitter. And it's not the breaking news this morning that Ryan Tuberty is stepping down yeah, from, the late, late, from mm-hmm. the late, late show. It's uh, something else. Uh, and we'll talk about a man that sort of used to kick, kick around the football for a living once. But we're going to finish up this part of the show with a bit of madness and just let you know that uh, not only do, do they appear in Belfast, but they're also in King John's Castle uh, the end of June this year. I can you wear your jerseys to that one? Uh, you could wear whatever you want to, Paul. I, okay. I, I think you can. I, I said uh, the irony of in King John's Castle <laughs> in Limerick. So uh, we'll be back for part two in a few minutes. Hey, me to me. me. 